and then they say, by the way, hey, um, would you mind, but uh, LeBron James is going to narrate this whole thing. Are you okay with that, Dr. Lambert? And I'm like, you know, LeBron James, the, the basketball player? They're like, yeah, Dr. Lambert's gonna be that guy. Hey guys, real quick, Dr. Dale here. All right, so I want you guys to do me a favor. Before you start this episode, please hit that pause button and click subscribe or click follow or click like, whatever it is. We work really hard to bring you guys this good information to uplift the entire community. And we really appreciate you guys supporting our efforts and our work. Love you guys. Enjoy the episode. I'm Dr. Dale, the author of How to Raise a Doctor Wizard from Parents Who Did It, author of Doc, Doc Children's Series, author of Black Men and White Coats, and the author of Pre-Med Mondays, and you are listening to the Black Men and White Coats podcast. Super excited about today's guest. We're going to get to him here in a second, but I just want to say, hey, I just want to say what's up to everybody who's listening and say hi. And, you know, sometimes we just need to say hi and take a moment to acknowledge you all, the listeners. So I just want to make sure I do that, let you guys know I love you and just and just thank you for listening to our podcast. A lot of things you could be listening to, but you chose to open this one with Dr. Carl Lambert. Thank you for listening. A um, couple updates in the world of black men and white coats. You know, a lot, a lot of this film thing, you know, I kind of thought it was going to die down by now. You know, we put the documentary out two months ago. I thought it was going to slow down, but it's still coming. <laughs> you know, people are still, people are still getting the films. They're still showing it at the hospitals. They're still showing it at the schools. We're partnering with some, um, healthcare systems who are going to take it into the high schools and stuff so man just thank you all so much for doing that just uh two nights ago i did a q a session with uh broward health and duke um so just still going strong man so this thing is going better than than we might have expected it i just want to say thank the community for for really grabbing it and running with it it means a lot if you haven't seen it definitely check it out bmwcmovie.com um, and a lot more stuff coming from our angle, but I'll, I'll, I'll leave you guys in suspense. I won't, I won't say all of it right now, but I'll leave you guys in suspense. Um, even though this, this episode is going to come out next week, we're recording it on Good Friday. So happy Good Friday to everybody out there. Um, and happy Easter. Hope you guys all had a great Easter weekend. Super, super excited for me to spend this time with my family. So I'm excited about it. All right, let's move into the episode, man. Let's move into the episode. So I've got a, a special guy here today. And he's somebody who, who I kind of knew but didn't know. It's, it's strange. It took me a while to realize him. That's why I'm like, I'm like, hold on. I, I, I've seen that guy. I've met that guy, and um, it, it clicked. And I see him online, and it's a small community, so you kind of you kind of get to know who some of the black docs who are actually, you know, making big moves are, and, and their their name is out there. You get you kind of get to know each other, right? But um, so I, I I used to see this guy, Dr. Carl Lambert. I used to see him out there like online and stuff, and then. It took me a second, but in Chicago last year, he was the Black Men and White Coast uh, Youth Summit we did in Chicago last year, which was uh, pretty cool to get a chance to actually meet, meet him uh, briefly. I still didn't get a chance to chat with him and rap with him the way I would have liked to. And then over the past year, I've just been kind of following his journey online and stuff and you know, communicating here and there online. But today, I'm super excited. Finally got him on the podcast, and we're going to break down his journey to becoming a Black Man in the White Coat, tell his story, and have a good time. Dr. Carl Lambert, welcome to the show. How are you doing? 
I'm good, man. It's good to be here with you. And uh, I, I admire everything that you're doing, man. So I'm just, I'm just grateful to be here with you. Hey, I, I admire everything that you're doing, man. I, I admire everything <laughs> that you're doing. I've been catching your news clips here lately, too. I was oh, like, yeah. hey, is that Carl again? Oh, my goodness. I completely forgot. Um, you had a LeBron James commercial. Yeah, man. Yeah. So let's, let's, let's just start with that. Man, tell me, how did that happen? How did you get in the commercial with LeBron? I, I, You know, before you do that, let me tell you how I even knew about it, because I don't. I don't watch too much TV, but I was doing a Q&A session with, um, no, I wasn't even on the Q&A session, some library or hospital or something. They did a Q&A session and, and, I, and I was just watching a video that they did, right? I wasn't there, but they were, they were doing the session. And the moderator goes, um, yeah, you know, he was like, I was watching TV the other day and I saw a LeBron James commercial come up and Dr. Dale was in the commercial. And I was like, <laughs> Dr. Dale was in the commercial. I don't remember being in no LeBron James commercial. So I go, and then he talked about what the commercial was. So I go to YouTube, and I'm like, man, they put me in a commercial with LeBron. They didn't even tell me. I put the commercial, <laughs> I'm like, that's Carl. Like, that's Carl. And I forgot about it. So tell me, how did, how did you get in a LeBron James commercial? Man, very, very random to tell you the truth, man. And, you know, just because we both bald, man, we don't all look the same. <laughs> we all look alike. We all look alike. You know? um, so so um, it happened like this. So I'm a part of a... Um, an op-ed project. So I'm an assistant professor of family medicine over here at Rush. And they started you know, about two years ago, this project for faculty members to kind of um, get their voices out. So especially if you're in like an underrepresented group. So um, my department chair had said, hey, Carl, you might want to think about this because I've always been a guy that I feel like I express myself better through writing than speaking. So um, this op-ed fellowship kind of trains you how to use your voice and your perspective and your experiences to just write about it and be maybe a catalyst for change, you know? And certainly there's been a lot of that over the, the last year or so. So it just so happened that someone in that cohort um, that I was working with, uh, he's a plastic surgeon, his girlfriend works for AT&T and he just says, hey Carl, you know, there's this Black History Month project that's going on and they're looking for a healthcare worker uh, to maybe be involved with the project. and. Um, you know, they just said, you should try out for it. So you literally have to go in, interview, meet the director and kind of almost like an actor. You have to kind of almost sell yourself. So as a doctor, I know nothing about this stuff, man. So I just said, hey, this is what I do. I'm a physician here. Here's what I love. Here's what I'm passionate about, so on and so on. And then one thing led to another and they say, hey, we need you to come down to the set. And I'm like, hey, I got patience. So, uh, you know, can we move some stuff around? And we, we make it work, um, everyone's flexible, I do that. And then they say, by the way, hey, um, would you mind, but uh, LeBron James is going to narrate this whole thing. Are you okay with that, Dr. Lambert? And I'm like, you know, LeBron James, the, the basketball player? They're like, yeah, Dr. Lambert's gonna be that guy. And I'm saying, oh, it's just gonna be on television? And they're like, yes, Dr. Lambert, it's gonna be on television. So, you know, I'm completely naive to just like how all this really goes. I'm just kind of happy to be a part of the project and then Next thing you know, it's on TV. My mom's calling, screaming. My grandmother, patients every week now are like, hey, you was in that commercial, doc. <laughs> you know, so it just it just really became uh, this thing that I really wasn't expecting when I said, yeah, let me just see what this thing is about. So it really, it just kind of grew. And, and I really love it. <laughs> I love it, man. It's like, I love the fact that LeBron James got to be in your commercial. <laughs> LeBron James got to be Carl's commercial. Right, he's, he's, he's all right. He's pretty cool. <laughs> but I mean, I really, so I put it on, 
when I when I YouTube the first thing I'm like, hold on. First of all, that's not me. <laughs> it's, 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 it's Carl. And second of all, I just and, and, and the way they did it was kind of cool. You know, they had you standing there and white coat on. It just looked cool. They, they did a great job with the graphics. And I just remember sitting there thinking like, how many little kids are gonna just watch this yeah. commercial and see a black man in the white coat? And how cool that's is crazy. that, man? Yeah, I, I love it. So kudos to you. Congrats for acing the the um the tryouts, whatever you want to call it. But a great job. I'm proud of you, proud of you for doing that. And now I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a random question. So I've been thinking about ways to kind of get deeper with these podcasts. I I, I want to hear a little bit about your story and such. But yeah, you know, my question. If I have to ask you a question, I'll say, what is your God given gift? Because I think that's important that everybody needs to know that. But as physicians, we need to start thinking more about that because as, as doctors, they train us to be robots sometimes, right? So yeah. what is your God-given gift? Man, that's, that's a great question, especially with Good Friday. You know, um, faith is super important to me um, and it's a huge reason why I'm why I'm doing what I do. So um, I, I'd say probably like the, I think that, that what I'm really good at is making deep connections with others. Um, and that's with anything that's patient care, education, family relationships, like making deep connections and making people feel seen, making sure that they feel safe, uh, making, making sure that they don't feel like they're alone. I think that that's something that um, is really important to me, probably because I didn't get a lot of that when I came through my own journey. So I figured, you know, once I get to a point of influence, like once I get, get my MD and all that stuff. I want to make sure that I, I'm to others what I wish I had more robustly myself. So I think that that's a, a deep call. So I think certainly in the field of medicine, if you're not called, you need some sort of an anchor or deep call to make it through this because it's it's tough. Um, you can do it, but it's just you know having an anchor such as faith or having like you just said some sort of a deny a divine sort of um, reason or a north star or whatever you want to call it or vision. Um, it's what sustains you. It sustains you when things are tough or you feel like you're just so overstretched that you just can't can't do more, uh, that anchor really just, it gives you that extra that extra ounce of what you need to, to stay in it. Yeah, 100, 100%, 100%. So, so I don't know if you know, but I'm somebody, I, I, I do my best to, to um, lead a certain life that I, that I believe is a way that um, we'll call it to live from a biblical perspective. Um, yeah. So that, that's very important to me. So with with you, how does that impact the way you practice medicine? Does, how does, and just let me ask this question, two questions with it. Number one, how does it impact the way you deliver care to medicine? And number two, um, with your faith, and this isn't a faith-based podcast, and I always tell people I have no idea anybody's faith or religion before they come on the, the show. It just turns out that most people come on the show for whatever reason, they've had a very deep um, faith-driven you know, approach to the, the practice. Number two is, do you ever see any obstacles in the way the system is set up to kind of prevent you from wanting to incorporate your faith the way you would like to? That's an awesome question. So, um, so, so when I finished training, um, faith, faith still is, and especially when I finished training, I, I went to a faith bank um, in the southwest suburbs of Chicago near my hometown. So it's in Harvey, Illinois, which is a, a very underserved. Uh, previously was an industrious town, um, but you know, once a lot of those jobs left, it's been mired in poverty really ever since. So um, I went to a faith-based Christian clinic. I kind of knew I wanted to be there initially just to get that, you know, again, that sort of foundation. Cause when you finish residency, you're like, oh my God, I still need to, 
I need some practice, you know, <laughs> help. And I wanted to be in a supportive environment. So for me, like tying that into those experiences with patients was just super key to me. So, you know, um, sometimes that can involve, you know, as a Christian, that could be simply praying with patients. That could be um, doing what's called a spiritual history, which I, I teach uh, students about, like, you know, inquiring um, about a patient's spiritual background, because a lot of times patients want you to ask, they don't necessarily want you to proselytize or anything, but they do want you to care and be aware of how that interacts or, 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 or whatnot with, with the physical and mental and, and social and emotional things. So uh, as a family doctor and a primary care doctor, especially, I'm always thinking about holistic care, you know? Um, it's not just the knee pain or other things. There's probably something else going on at home or a patient lost their job or someone that they knew no passed away or they're stressed out about something and all that really comes together and manifests itself in a variety of ways. So, you know, I'm always taking a holistic approach um, when I see patients. Um, so, you know, so really just being inquisitive and, and thinking as a person is not just like a cog in a wheel, but actually just like someone who is kind of like an image bearer of God. Like it's a very, you know, every patient experience is very unique. Um, and there's a certain, like, there's a kind of a sacred space to it where it's like, okay, this is someone that, you know, God is creating God's image. So I want to make sure that I honor that and I honor them in that experience. And I try to, you know, advocate or teach or support and then also treat like doing the medical care or doing appropriate care as well, um, to show that sort of combination of compassion with confidence. Um, so that was really easy to do at my first job. But now that I'm an assistant professor and doing like academic medicine and it's essentially like a secular institution, um, I haven't noticed any barriers, but I have noticed that I had to be a little bit more careful with how I, um, how I broach those topics. So I kind of almost treat it like a procedure, you know what I mean? So I'd say, hey, is it okay if I ask you about your faith? Or is it okay if, you know, you if I were to pray with you? Or you hey, you know- first. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like getting consent. And then I even document, you know, some places even like, you know, some FQHCs that really do a lot of this work, they have it in their EMR embedded, that you can even document these things as like maybe even spiritual uh, disconnect or spiritual unrest. Um, so there's many ways that places kind of um, work around it. Um, but a lot of times patients aren't, they're not angry about it. They're like, yeah, it's, it's kind of refreshing. Like, yeah, we can talk about it. But I always say when you when you're done, we can stop, we can put a pause in it here and we can always come back to it. You know, I love that as a, as a doc that I can, I'm always gonna see the patient again, you know, Lord mm -hmm. willing, I, you know, we can kind of follow up and follow them throughout their journey. Yeah, that's nice. I, so I don't think, I, I, don't, I don't share like my testimony, I don't think we ever shared it on, on the podcast really and I won't necessarily get into it right now, but um, the gentleman who really discipled, discipled me, it was when I was a resident physician uh, whenever I started coming to my faith and, and starting to grow in my faith and stuff, I remember one thing he told me. So, you know, when I finished med school and I went, I went to residency, I was like, hey, I'm going to be the best doctor ever, right? I'm going to be better than the surgeon general, better than all the folks at HHS. I'm going to be the best, baddest doctor ever. And I was, I was like on core, like, you know, just reading all the books, all that stuff, just making sure bang, 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 I had it. This is my intern year. And then I, I meet this guy because I had a son, I needed a nanny. And then, um, you know, we hired his wife, so I meet him, we get him one of my best friends and discipler. And I remember one day I'm telling him, hey, I'm gonna be like the best doctor ever, the baddest guy to ever step in the hospital, the baddest guy to ever put on a white coat. He was like, Dale, how well do you know the Bible? I was like, man, you know, I know I know my med books. He was like, Dale, I'm gonna tell you something. If you know your medical books better than you know the Bible, you're in trouble. Um, 
And he was like, I don't care how gifted of a clinician you are, if you don't have that divine favor with your patients and such, um, you're not going to be able to deliver the things that they need to be delivered. So, anyways, yeah, so that's always that's always stuck with me in terms of understanding that being an excellent doctor is way more than just just the books and such. So tell me, tell me about your your childhood. Um, yeah. what kind of household did you grow up in? Tell me about your parents. What did your parents do for work? Yeah, you know, fortunate um, to have to, to two parents still living. Um, they, they're like seven minutes from the house now. Um, but my dad, he, he always wanted to be an engineer. Um, but once I was born, he was like, okay, I got to get a job. So he worked for many years as a laborer, like at Kraft General Foods. And then he just retired from um, the Chicago Transit Authority. And he still does plumbing on the side from here, here on out. And then my mom, she was um, essentially a school aide. But then she ended up just kind of working at home because I have two younger brothers with, with autism, with special needs. So um, oldest of three, and really they were, they were initial inspirations to even think about medicine. So they had sought care at Rush, where I currently work now. They saw specialists at Rush. So, you know, I was kind of exposed to like, just kind of like the doctor's touch, like how they related to, to my family. Like, I really liked their style. I liked the way that they showed that- how, Roughly how, how old would you have been around that time, like old enough to kind of comprehend what medicine was or no? Just just barely. Like I kind of knew I liked the, the human body. I liked mm -hmm. um, asking questions. Like when I would go to these appointments, I would ask questions. They didn't always make sense. So you were that kid. You were that kid. And the doctors are very gracious. They're like, oh, all right. Um, so probably like, you know, seven, eight somewhere around that age where I was like, man, I really like that mixture of science with the human body and helping people. And then also people who can't necessarily, who may not be able to necessarily help themselves. So like when I was younger, I, I was a little angry, like, man, why am I the one having to be like a third parent here? You know, I just kind of wanted to be a regular, regular kid playing around. But a lot of times I had to make sure that my, my um, brothers are taken care of and that they were good. So I know even then God was preparing me for, for kind of later on of being a physician, being a physician of, of patients who have special needs and all sorts of other um, people from different walks of life. Learn, to be, a, learn um, to be a caretaker from a young age. Yeah, you learn yeah. to be a caretaker and just like, again, like that selflessness and just that sense of responsibility. Um, so yeah, I, I, I was fortunate to have a really, have a really supportive family that made me feel like I could do anything. They, they never put limits on me. They say, hey, you know, you seem to like math and science. You seem to ask a lot of questions. So they tried to steer me towards experiences and teachers and grade school and other things to, um, to really nurture that. So I was really grateful to have people that gave really positive voices and encouragement to my journey. It wasn't until like higher education and stuff where you start hearing the, you know, maybe you shouldn't be doing this or who do you think you are? Or, you know, this ain't, this ain't where you're supposed to be. Those sort of voices, they didn't come until, until later on. So that's awesome. So yeah, we're definitely, we're definitely gonna get to those voices here in a second. Yeah, but yeah. you know, I love it. And I'm such a big proponent. I mean, I wrote a book called How to Raise a Doctor, right? So I'm such a, a big supporter of this idea of parents really guiding your kids and paying attention to your kids, what your kids want, your kids' desires, and um and pushing them in the in the not shoving them, but you know, yeah. gently guiding and pushing them in that direction, giving them the resources. It sounds like that's what happened in your kids, because you went for your high school, tell me you went to um yeah. You went to, um, I don't know what to call it, but a high school that's kind of focused on yeah. like STEM or something, right? 
Yes, sir. I went to the Illinois Math and Science Academy. So it's a boarding school. And imagine this is like for, you know, you apply to get in this school. You have to take the SATs and all these different things to even get in. And you go sophomore through senior year. So definitely had parents that were like, they had trust. <laughs> like, okay, we think this is the right decision. You know, my mom, I remember the day I went, she cried like I was dying. I was like, no. Nah, it's a backstep back. I, I know what a boarding yeah. school is. It sounds, it sounds like you did real boarding, but backstep and explain why the boarding school part is, is important here. So for yeah. listeners who aren't familiar with boarding school. So boarding school is um, essentially where you live in like a dormitory lifestyle. So you're in, you know, you you have a roommate, you have a, a residence counselor. It's almost like college. It's kind of like that same sort of style of college, but this is high school. So again, younger kids, you know, not fully mature and developed like a college student would be, but um, you're with like-minded individuals who are really getting interested in STEM. So the trade-off is that you're getting exposed to math and science, advanced math and science concepts, and even careers that are related to that, like medicine or engineering or which, what have you, um, at an earlier age. So um, yeah, so that that's what a boarding school is. So I didn't realize at the time how unique or even strange that was and really how big of a deal it was for my parents to allow me um, to even to do that. It was tough for them, but I think now they're happy that I'm in Chicago now. But back then, that was tough for them. So was it um was it something for underrepresented minorities, or was everybody? What was the racial breakdown at school there? It was it was everybody, but you know it wasn't wasn't good representation for for black and brown folks. So so I think we had about in our class maybe about 120. Uh, it was five black guys and I think four black women, and we're still tight to this very day. Um, so it wasn't so great when I was there. Um, but it's it's improved since then, but really through like concerted effort, review, alum coming back <laughs> to be involved in admissions and all these other things. So it's definitely a work in progress. So I wonder, I'm gonna, uh, so we just put out an episode where it was just, just me by myself talking, I had to get something on my, my heart last time. It, it was, um, you know, my, my, my older boy had a little issue where another, another young child said that, um, all brown people are stupid. He when he said brown, he was referring to black people. All brown people are stupid and look, yeah, they look like poop, right? So, yep. um, so sometimes you go through that stuff. Did you did you face anything like that at the boarding school? Because now you're away from your parents. You don't have parent influences. You got a bunch of kids who yeah. sometimes might not treat each other the way they should. Did you face anything like that? And what did that do for your your drive? Great question. So actually at high school, I, I kind of kicked butt there, man. So actually a lot of the, the other students, they saw me as like the, like that's the dude we want to be like. So I did really well um, in school at that time. So um, no, I didn't experience a lot of that. It was actually a good time for growth and to be exposed to other cultures. So I didn't really get a lot of that. Um, now that's not to say that other students who were black and brown didn't have that experience after I left, but when I was there, you know, we, I was pretty serious about it. And um, I didn't have much trouble. Um, I, I think from academic excellence, you, you gained a certain amount of respect and, and, and whatnot from there. Um, that, that stuff didn't come to college and medical school and thereafter where people kind of question and say like, well, do you really got the, got the chops to be here or not? So, so yeah, so let's fast forward to that then. Tell me, tell me yeah, a little bit about, yeah. about some of, some of that stuff. And, yeah, I, I won't spend um, too much time harping on it, but tell me a little bit. Part of the part of what I hate doing on this podcast is, um, even though it's, it's black men and white coats, you know, I touch on the race stuff because I understand that's important, but I don't want the focus to make. I never want to make a divide, right? I never want to yeah. make a racial divide. 
So I don't want it to be like, oh, they don't like black folks or black folks don't like them, none of that mm-hmm. stuff. But the challenges are real. And I want our listeners, if we have younger listeners, not even younger, probably a lot of people who listen are like you and I, um, yeah. you know, yeah. like you and I. So I want people to understand how to prepare for those situations if, if they should arise. That's good. Um, yeah, so I, I tell my students, just be really careful of the voices you listen to. Because if I listen to the wrong ones, I wouldn't be speaking to you right now. So I remember, you know, sophomore year, I went to college at Washington University in St. Louis, pre-med, like most people who go to Wash U are. Um, you know, I took organic chemistry, which, you know, sends chills down people's bones, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, first semester, I think I got a C on, on one of my midterms. So it just started. I went to our pre-med counseling center really just to strategize, to figure out, okay, do I need a tutor? Am I studying wrong? Like, what, what, how can I make this better? So I was shocked to be met with a, you know, maybe medicine isn't right for you. Like Carl, maybe you shouldn't even go down this path. And I'm like, no. (laughs) It's it's amazing how common, so that that situation didn't happen to me, but it's amazing how common that is. I don't know if you go listen to all my other podcasts, you're gonna hear, that conversation is a recurrent theme in it. Before I used to kind of think to myself, like, like, man, maybe it's like, maybe I'm just blowing it out of proportion. Maybe I'm exaggerating it. Maybe, maybe that doesn't, that conversation doesn't happen so much, but so many people I talked to have had that exact same conversation. Yeah. So, and so early again, this is just like, you know, so early in the game to be met with that. So it's like, even in the documentary, there was this quote called like the this bigotry of lowered expectations. Like I remember that quote from the documentary. And uh, I had to decide then and there, who do I listen to? So I had had enough sense to just switch advisors. Like, okay, th- this is this person's not saying the right stuff. Let me find someone else who's jiving with what I'm thinking about. And this, it was a completely different experience. And she was like, yeah, you didn't do so hot, but this is not the end for you. We can, we can figure this out. So um, yeah. I need everybody to hear what you just said, right? Yeah. From the eight-year-old who's listening to the mother who's listening to the black woman in her thirties to the grandpa in the sixties, 70s, Everybody listening to hear that exact thing, right? You you have the power, you have the authority, and you have the responsibility to to take your success into your own hands. Yeah. You, you really do, and you and you, yeah, and you and you have to do it, man. Like like don't let don't let that negative influence other people put on you guide you i, I love i love you you made the decision you're like nah that like you're not the right person for me i'm gonna go do something else take it into my own hands yes sir so you gotta steward that that call because i mean you know you will be met with resistance here and there and i think at every level of my training there's been some some sort of um there's been something <laughs> that has made me say no nah, I'm, I'm meant to be here so i think i'm going to stay <laughs> what would you say what would you say has been your biggest your biggest challenge my biggest challenge, um, gosh, probably just like the sense of isolation, you know, as a black man, a white coat, you know, there's not a lot of us, you know, sometimes you're even referred to as say like a unicorn, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I felt that in med school, I was the only black person in my medical school class at the time of like 140, mm-hmm. uh, same thing in residency, but it was a different environment. And then even as the faculty member now, the only black person in my department, um, that's a it's a tremendous amount of responsibility and it's and it's you know this the work that i do and stuff it's it's awesome you're, you're doing a lot of pouring out of yourself but at the same time on the flip side there there's a tax to that and there's a sense of again isolation where you you kind of want people to understand or you want to see someone that looks like you 
Um, cause you can just commiserate better with them. Like even talking to you, I know there's, there's just certain things talking to you. That's just understood that we're talking to another colleague. They may not even be able to even understand fully the weight that's kind of the, the mantle that's on us to represent and to be excellent every single time. And then also pulling like, you know, like reaching back while you're climbing. So we're doing all these things at the same time. And sometimes people think that that's easy to do, but it can, it's, it's really tough to do, um, even though it may look easy to some, but it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of work and, and, and energy to do it. So what do you say, what do you say to the person who might not be um, Black who says, hey, I have to do all that same stuff too, right? Because um, um, So I would say to, to that person, they, they're probably not thinking about the context of, again, the minority tax. Like there's certain things that I know for sure um, that only a select few are doing. And again, it's this, it's this invisible labor um, that, that you're always doing. Uh, it's not on your contract. Um, and, it, and a lot of times it's done in, now I won't say in the shadows, but it's just kind of, you're just doing it out of the goodness of your own heart. You're doing it because if you don't, you know, if you don't do it, at least in the back of my mind, if you don't do it, who else is going to do it? So you, you take care of it. That could be mentoring a student or bringing them into clinic, reading personal statements, you know, practicing interview skills or, you know, meeting with a student in distress, which I just did this morning, right? All these different things that you do. I, I try to explain that to colleagues or I explain that to leadership, you know, especially leadership and say, hey, it would be sure great to have a lot more people who look like me here um, so that we can, can distribute that work a little bit more better. Um, because again, I think that's, that's a sign of excellence. So everyone benefits from the work that only a select few people do. Um, so sometimes I'll take the argument of equity. Like if things are truly equal, then why is it only a few people actually doing the work and everyone's kind of getting the credit, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, the other thing I'll, I'll add to that is yeah. while in some situations it's good for, it's good to get counseling or guidance or whatever for somebody who looks like you, you know, to your point, it doesn't always have to be right. So other people can join the mission. Other people can help. Other people can contribute. Yeah. And um, I, I think sometimes people, they, they don't know how to, mm. but really I think what just needs to happen is they just need to jump in the fire and just start doing. Yeah. We, we think, how do I, how do I, how do I, how? something and how and just do it sometimes, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. Just get it. Like, it's, it's not a graceful dance, but just just get on the dance floor, right? Just get so, it. <laughs> so, why, so why did you... um? Why did you choose academic medicine? I'm in academia too, but why did you choose academic medicine? You know what, man? I At first, I, I so when I first started practicing, when I finished, I was like, okay, I'm probably just going to be, you know, a community doc and work for 30 years and just retire. You know what I mean? So I thought that's initially what I was going to do. But about two or three years into um, just working, I got a little burnt out, to be honest. I got a little bit burnt out. I loved my patients. I loved what I was doing. I loved the holistic care, but I just felt like something was missing. And then I swear, just one day I was driving to work and I was really tired. And in my memory came this one thing that I would do a lot as a kid. So my dad had bought me this, this Charlie Brown anatomy book from the thrift store. I would go there and I'd beg and I have to barter to get it. And I would teach, teach stuffed animals this book. So my parents are like, that's weird, but okay, he seems to like it. I remembered that image driving one day to work. And um, it, for whatever reason, it just made me cry. Like I had to pull over and cry. And it realized, it made me realize like, that's what's missing. Like I missed teaching. I missed role modeling for other people. Like I remember that that was a huge passion that I had. And around that time, 
randomly rush calls and says, hey, Carl, we remember that you came to, you graduated from here. You know, we're starting this new curriculum. We're trying to rejuvenate the department or what have you. Would you be interested? So literally going into academics was like a leap of faith. Like I, you know, it was just kind of like the right time. A lot of stuff just kind of came together and it was just like this door that opened. And I was like, yeah, this is something that I think I want to do. Um, and then I remembered again, being a student, being the only, you know, if, if there's a way that I could be in a place where other people don't feel like the only, then yeah, that's the place that I need to be. So it was just these, these very um, just divine moments that kind of opened the door for that to happen. I love the way you make your decisions. I think everybody should make decisions like this, right? You know, it's, it's following your callings that, you know, I always tell people, I think one of the biggest mistakes people don't get is there's a difference between your job and your work, right? Your job is yeah. something you do, you go to, you make money, it's an exchange, right? It's a, it's a transaction. You know, your work is, is who you're called to be. It's, it's your life's mission. It's the legacy you're developing. You know, I think, uh, I forgot which pastor, I think it was Miles Monroe said, um, God gave man work before he gave man woman, right? So God, God yeah, gave Adam, yeah. God gave Adam work. He said, you know, take care of the garden. He gave Adam work before right. before Eve came around, yep. right? So I think people, oftentimes, don't put the their work, their life's work, at the center of their decisions. I love how what you're saying. Everything you're doing is always comes back to what's my work, what's my work, what's my work. There's a strong why behind all the decisions you're making, and you know. So again, to the listeners, just remember that there's a strong, there should be a strong why behind your um decisions as you're going through your, your career don't just say i'm going to do this because of more money i'm going to do this because yeah. i'm supposed to do it like understand your calling your work your why absolutely um, so what so for, for you your your legacy what do you want your medical legacy to be at the end of this when it's all said and done and let me let me preface this by i, I think i'm going to start asking everybody in this podcast this question probably i preface it by saying I would always say, I don't want a legacy. I don't care if people remember me, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, to address that, I don't care if people remember me, but I want the work that I do to have a positive impact when I'm gone. So what, what do you want that legacy for you to be? That, man, you, you got awesome questions, man. So like impact. So I've been thinking a lot about like impact because I, you know, you might feel this way in academics. It's a lot about productivity. Like you gotta just do things. You gotta, and now I'm thinking more about like, okay, um, what, what if what I'm doing actually leads to like long lasting impact and not just busyness? Because you can really get caught up in busyness and like just those things that I do in academics for maybe promotion, all these different things. Like that's all well and good, but now I'm thinking about what does impact mean? And I think I kind of agree with what you're, what you're already saying. Like, you know, I would want to leave a legacy of people who come after me to be even better than me. Like I want my, my kid, if I ever have kids, you know, Lord willing, and then my students, I want them to go even further um, than I've gone. So I want, you know, essentially like, you know, tough-minded, tender-hearted um, clinicians. You know, I'm of course biased to primary care. I think we need a more robust primary care sector. And I love for that to be more people of color. Um, but, you know, I think that's the legacy I want to leave. I want people to remember me as someone who, who cared deeply for people, um, who, who took his craft seriously, whether that's teaching or patient care. And then at the same time, he used that um, to help others in a way that they hopefully can relate that back to a call from God. Not just I'm doing it out of the goodness of my heart, but really because it's from a, it's a calling that God put upon me to do it. And hopefully they, they'll see that labor of love is just a reflection of God's love for them. Um, so I think that's, I think that's a pretty 
stable <laughs> legacy to leave behind. That's, that's definitely beautiful, beautiful. Um, where, where, where do you see medicine in, in 10 years from now? Man, I wish I knew, man. I just, things are just so, so crazy nowadays. Um, I would, hmm, I, I would hope that medicine would be more diverse. And I think even thinking about like the COVID pandemic, you're seeing like more people from diverse backgrounds applying uh, to this field. So I, I think that's awesome and noble. So I'm hoping that, and again, going back to the documentary that the different gatekeepers um, do the right thing so that there's a more open pipeline to get people in so that we can start writing a lot of the wrongs that we're seeing in, in data and life expectancy and literally any sort of can, chronic disease or what have you that you see. Um, so I would hope that medicine would be more, more diverse, more equitable, more fair. Um, and, and of course, more, more services towards like prevention, public health and education and awareness for people. Love it, man. And the work you're doing is definitely along those lines. For listeners, um, I don't know how to find it. I guess I can just Google your name and then click on the news tab or something. But, you know, you've had a, at least a couple nice news pieces here where it kind of shows the work you do and, and how the work you do is, is, is leading towards exactly what you're saying. So yeah. a lot of people say, oh, I hope this, I hope that. But what you're doing is actually hopefully moving us towards what, what you want to see happen, right? Yeah. Um, you, have, you have a bigger vision than just day-to-day -day patient care. Day-to-day -day patient care is important. We have to do it. But I can clearly see that you you have a work in your life and, you, and you're working towards that vision. And I, and I, I personally, personally love that. All right. So let me see. I'm going to just throw off. So this is the rapid fire portion of this, right? All right. I'm just going to start throwing off some random stuff. I haven't even thought about it myself. So it's random for me. <laughs> it's going to be a... Would you rather have this or that or choose this or that, right? Just a bunch oh, of okay. random, 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 random stuff. Cool. All right, basketball or football? Oh, man. Uh, football. I thought you were going to say basketball because LeBron. All right. You got you to <laughs> give, give, give me your why also. Basketball, football, and your why. Probably just, um, I just remember being younger, like I go to, to football games with my dad. I actually don't follow a lot of sports, which adds to the oddness of the LeBron James commercial, but I think it's probably just from family memories of football games and stuff. And actually, it's Spanish or French? Spanish. I'm trying to learn Spanish right now. Is there, is there a large uh, Spanish population in Chicago? Yeah, absolutely. On the near west side where I practice, um, we have a huge Latinx population. So I'm one of two docs who don't know Spanish. So I'm trying to get my Duolingo on to, to fix that. <laughs> All right. Tesla or Porsche? Oh, wow. Everyone, <laughs> I mean, um, Tesla, everyone I know seems they have a Tesla nowadays. So they seem pretty cool. Like you can use a remote control to move it and stuff. It seems pretty wild. Yeah, man, I, I don't. Have, I drive a Kia, right? So I got I got my, my Kia Sorento, which I love. Hey, I love my Kia Sorento. So I drive yeah. a Kia Sorento, but I, I told my wife if I step up into that next realm of cars, you know, um, is for me it'll be for me the question is Tesla or Range. I don't know which one, but if I ever step into oh. that next realm, it's gonna be one of those. But for now, I mean, I'm all about the Kia game. So, uh, yeah, um, a Rav four. There you go. There you go. All right. So let me let me let me let me think about two more, two more, two more. Um, Sushi or hamburger? Oh, you're killing me. Uh, hamburger. I got to have hamburgers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, favorite hamburger restaurant? You a McDonald's guy or you a... Oh, man. So in Chicago, there's a place called Kuma's Corner. So it's... um, Actually, they just built one near Rush. So there they got some of the best burgers I've ever seen or, or tasted in my life. So 
That's up there right now. And all Cheval is another re- restaurant I haven't been to yet, but they got some of the best burgers too here in Chicago. All right, I'm at the um, next time I'm in Chicago. I don't I don't really eat burgers per se. I, I don't eat too much beef anymore, but I'm gonna have to make a special. Yeah, they exception. got turkey burgers, you know. There we go. I'll grab a turkey burger. Um, and last one, what I want to go with fade or bald. I think you know my answer, man. Bald. There we go. Bald shout is beautiful. Shout out to the baldies, man. Shout out to the bald people out there. Bald is beautiful. There you go. There you go. Um, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you three things and then, then we'll wrap it up here. But I always like to get my guests advice to the different age groups so just in like one sentence two sentences what would you tell um an elementary and junior high student i'd say um to them you can be like my dad told me you can be anything that you want to be um dream big nothing is too wild like the world is yours that's why i tell them. uh what would you tell um let's, let's skip to uh college what would you tell that college pre-medical student kind of similar um very very similar like again you can have what you want to have if you put in the work and then again, have a good support network of people who um, they'll hold you accountable, um, but they won't discourage you from your true north. They'll, they'll align with what you think your dreams are. So have just have a good team, almost like a board of directors, if you will, start having that at that age. I love that. Um, and that's the last one. Let's skip to what would you tell, what would you tell a, um, a you, your peer? What would you tell somebody... Yeah. Who's that? Who's that? Saying? And what? Because what I'm realizing actually is, uh, you know, people of all backgrounds listen to you know the podcast, of course, but I'm realizing that there are a lot of us listen to it, right? So we like hearing each other's stories, not just when I started. So I always thought it was kids, 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 and maybe some parents. Um, when I say kids, I mean like college, high school, and such. Yeah. But on top of that, a lot of us listen to each other's stories, so we love hearing that stuff. So what would you tell to the thirty-something-year-old black uh, male woman? white male, white woman, whatever, who's listening to this right now? Um, probably like you're, you're not alone um, and that the work that you're doing is great. It makes me think about, you know, I was reading the book in Nehemiah. It's like, hey, stay on the wall because you're doing, you're doing a great work. So just know that someone is watching you. What you do matters. And then find community, have community. Like no one is an island to themselves. So reach out, see what other people are doing to get inspiration and to build connections with. Because um, I think at this point, that's that's really important to me is to have a village of people, even if they're not where I'm at, but at least I can see them on social media or other platforms. And you feel you feel that like, man, I love what they're doing over there. And that that gives me inspiration. So th- those would be some of my, my nuggets of encouragement. Dr. Carl Lambert, this is a very, 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 very wise man. It's been a wise session. It's been a great session for me and my personal development, just hearing you talk over the past, you know, 30 minutes or so. I appreciate you coming on the show. I appreciate the wisdom, the knowledge you dropped, and I appreciate the work you're doing, man. Um, It's some really good stuff, not just for patients, but for the next generation of clinicians that we're developing and such. So I love it. I love it. I love it. to, 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 to the listeners, thank you guys for listening. Y'all already know every episode I tell you guys I love you guys because I do. My professional mission is to develop tomorrow's leaders in the field of medicine. So thank you to all the parents, my peers, the kids, everybody who's listening. I appreciate you guys. One way you can help me out is, let me look into the camera. I look, I'm look, My screen's over here. I'm gonna look directly into my camera. So first of all, if you just listen to the podcast, do know we're starting to put these on YouTube. We're recording them video now. So where you can help us out is by going to subscribe on YouTube and the podcast. So find us in the Apple, iTunes store, Google podcast, YouTube. The links are gonna be in the description below. So in the show notes, so just click on the link there 
and please subscribe. It helps us out. The more people that subscribe, the more people that like, that helps us get out there more. And we're doing our best to, to put stuff out. We're doing our best to uplift the community. So we appreciate your supporting us by just a simple click of a button. We really appreciate that. So my pre-meds, definitely check out premedmondays.com. Um, Monday evenings, come join the pre-med mastermind group. We've got a bunch of pre-meds there working together to be successful, get into medical school. There'll be a coach there, either myself, Dr. Daniel, um, or one of the medical students. And every Monday for 52 straight weeks, I send you a video of me teaching you some of the best stuff that I've got to teach to help you guys get to that next level. And we do it in a way that everybody can afford, less than you going out to get a burger every week to make sure that um, everybody has access to the information to help you guys be successful. Appreciate you guys. Love you guys. Like, subscribe, all that stuff. We'll see you next time. Ooh. I want them bad like a daddy, yeah. Oh, let do it like flagger, yeah. I'm kicking flame with no saga, yeah. Hey, I like them blues. I might go Janet like Jackson. I got them option, yeah. It's all about progression. Life is like a blessing. Everything a win, loss is like a lesson. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, ain't no time for stressing. I've been really stepping. Ooh, ooh. If you wanna go get it, stop playing around. Really got on racks, ain't playing around. Wanna go get it, stop playing around. Really got on racks, ain't playing around. Black man, white yeah. coat, shit, we up right now, yeah. yeah.